Here we go. It's 1999 and Elon Musk has a problem. Five months earlier, Musk had co-founded X.com, which is not in fact a porn website, but instead was what Musk considered to be the very first completely online bank. Of course, first Internet Bank Corps was founded in February of 1999, and technically NetBank was founded in 1996, but according to Ashley Vance's fawning biography, Elon Musk, Tesla, SpaceX, and the quest for a fantastic future, Musk was a visionary, forging forward in a direction that no one had ever dreamed of before. But that vision hit a minorish speed bump. Harris Fricker, who left a cushy job at the Bank of Scotia in Canada to co-found the company, had grown fed up with Musk in the five months of working closely with him. Fricker, a lifelong banker with years of experience, had sought to build the company in a more traditional fashion. Starting an online bank in 1999 wasn't exactly easy and had a host of regulatory hurdles. But Musk seemed to have no interest in doing things the easy way. Musk had already shown up on CNN talking about how X.com was the next multi-billion dollar bonanza. In that same interview, Musk is seen taking delivery of a million dollar McLaren F1, a car that he promptly crashes into embankment and brags that it was never insured. Musk assures everyone that getting 50 million dollars is just a matter of making a few phone calls he is promising the sun and moon and stars to venture capitalists and fricker just wants a normal ass internet-based bank the relationship gets even worse when musk who is the chairman by virtue of having the largest share in the company keep that in mind it becomes important later appoints Bill Harris, the former Intuit CEO, as X.com CEO. Fricker has moved to a different country to pursue this goal, and Musk has effectively seen fit to cut him out of major decision making. Fricker's first move, obviously, is to try and oust Musk. When that fails, Elon is the money guy after all, Frisker leaves the project. Now, Fricker leaving, that doesn't really concern Musk. What does concern him is that Fricker takes almost the entire engineering team, including lead designer Edward Ho, with him. That leaves Musk in a bind. The company has basically been decimated. The people who know what to do at the company to make it potentially successful are gone. What's a hardworking, tech entrepreneur to do when the venture capitalists come a-knocking wondering what he's doing with all their money. Well, if you're Elon Musk, you simply fake it until you make it. You set up a barely functional prototype of the site and you keep doing what you normally do. You sell them on all the amazing things that the product will do and not mention any of the pro things that the product actually can do and you make sure that no one pays attention to the fact that it barely works. As Scott Anderson, a computer scientist that was hired just days after Fricker took his crew and went home, would tell Ashley Vance, quote, you look back and it was total insanity. 
we had what amounted to a Hollywood movie set of a website. It barely got past the VCs. It's hard to pin down exactly where Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter and the comedy of errors that led him to being exposed as a grifter and at the very least a real jerk truly begins. The truth is that ever since Musk was fired as the CEO from Confinity, uh, by the way, Elon Musk did not found PayPal and never even worked there while the company was called PayPal. And actually, he kind of hated PayPal and wanted to replace the PayPal branding with X.com branding. So, you know, there's one grift for you. He's been floating from business venture that should have failed to business venture that should have failed for basically the entire time we have known him as a public figure. The truth is, our systems are tailor-made for a man like Elon Musk to thrive while offering really nothing at all. Modern day Americans have a fascination with wealth, and we have been told that anyone who becomes a billionaire did it because they are simply better than us. The media culture we have, desperate for access so they don't have to write yet another article and film yet another segment about the dumb thing that happened yesterday on a social media site they don't quite understand, is all too willing to put together fawning profiles of these bastions of business. Our self-worth as a country has increasingly become about what we can produce and not what we can create. And if a billionaire is a billionaire, he must have produced a whole lot. As of this recording, Elon Musk owns five companies. SpaceX, Tesla, The Boring Company, Neuralink, and Twitter. And each of them is a grift in its own right while they are also entangled in helping the other companies maintain their own griftness, or griftiness. But perhaps the best place to start with how Musk came to topple his image as the real-life Tony Stark is in a company that no one really ever talks about. It is one of Musk's greatest failures, and somehow it manages to rope his two biggest companies into the grift. And its failure is probably the reason for Musk's turn against mainstream media and into crazed, red-pilled idiocy. Ladies and gentlemen, I am your humble Driftmaster. And to get to the bottom of the $44 billion fuck-up, we must get to the top of the Solar City scam. The houses you see around you are all solar houses. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you, did you notice? The goal is to make, have, have electric, or, you know, solar roofs that look better than a uh, normal roof, generate electricity, have, last longer, have better insulation, um, and actually have a cost, an installed cost that is less than a normal roof plus the cost of electricity. So we're going to show you, this is the before shot of that house over there. Now that's um, all solar. If you look carefully, you can see the, the solar cells. So the, that house is also solar, and that's a sort of a style of a, of a French slate, which is one of the hardest things to, to do. So what the French slate hydrographic looks like, you can see that. 
The third house is really transformative. From the vantage point of the street, it looks completely opaque, but as the angle changes, it goes from transparent to opaque. To, to the sun, it's transparent. The most surprising one is the, the Tuscan, Tuscan glass. All of the dark tiles have solar panels. From the sun's vantage point, which tends to be high angle, you can see the, the, solar, the solar cells, but as you change the angle to a shallow angle, it reverts to a sort of a orangey color. One of the other advantages of, of glass is that we can actually make it a lot tougher uh, and last a lot longer than a conventional roof. We want it to look better, last longer, provide better insulation, and cost less, all things considered, than a conventional roof. And I think taking this approach, it, it can be. That's where we're headed. Um, and I hope you agree that's the future we want. Thank you. That is Elon Musk, then chairman of SolarCity, revealing the latest and most innovative tech from the company, solar panel roof tiles. Live from, wait a minute, that, that can't possibly be right. Hold on, let me check real fast. One second. Oh, yep, uh, apparently this, this this is right. Um, live from the set of Desperate Housewives, Musk reveals to the world several houses that he says have been transformed by the use of the tiles. This setup features all the hallmarks of a Musk presentation. Musk standing awkwardly on stage with his arms crossed, talking about innovation. Musk awkwardly showing off the root tiles in a way that the camera can see but the audience cannot. Something heavy is dropped onto something else to prove how strong it is. Musk promising that he will do this thing and he will do it for cheaper and better than anyone else for the sake of a green environment. The presentation itself is a big deal for Musk. In just a short while, Tesla shareholders will be voting on whether or not they will purchase SolarCity at a cost of $2.6 billion. The company had technically been founded by Musk's cousins in 2006, Lyndon and Peter Rive, but both say the concept came from Elon. Musk fronted the new business $10 million and became its de facto chairman. From the outside, SolarCity had all the markings of a business that was thriving. By 2009, solar panels it had installed were delivering 450 megawatts of power. By the time it had its IPO and was listed on the stock exchange in December of 2012, SolarCity had expanded to the East Coast, acquiring solar companies Grow Solar and the solar division of Clean Currents. In 2013, it would add Paramount Solar to its portfolio for $120 million. To foster the growth of eco-friendly solar panels, SolarCity offered its clients a sweetheart deal. Customers of SolarCity would pay no money down and no upfront cost. The homeowner would then pay gradually over a period of 20 years for the power generated by the panels. In a country like the United States, for some people, that meant not only were they not paying for solar panels up front, but their electricity bills could be significantly lower. Now, the people who are smart with math likely already see the problem with this setup. Good job, you! This meant that Solar City was losing anywhere from $1,000 to $3,000 on each and every install. 
This approach fueled growth, but it burned through cash. SolarCity had hoped that they would be able to make more money on charging for power, but the cash flow wasn't coming in as fast as it was going out. If the Ryan brothers or Elon Musk had hired literally anyone who knew anything about running an energy company, they might have noticed this little quirk beforehand. By the way, did you know Elon Musk hates business plans? I had a business plan way back in the zip two days, he said, but these things are always wrong, so I just don't bother with business plans after that. Huh, maybe he should reconsider that. Anyway, SolarCity had a cash flow problem, and so they developed an ingenious plan. SolarCity would offer $200 million in solar bonds to potential investors. These bonds were going to be secured against the future customer payments from the installation of these panels and the charging of subscription fees, which sounds like a Ponzi scheme. Is that a Ponzi scheme? It definitely seems Ponzi scheme-esque or Ponzi scheme-ish. But before we dig too much into that rabbit hole, Elon dug a much, much bigger hole than that. He uses $90 million of SpaceX's money to buy SolarCity bonds. SpaceX is another Musk company that is also burning through huge piles of money. He really should consider this business plan thing. Worse yet, that $90 million of SpaceX money he uses to buy SolarCity bonds comes from a contract awarded by NASA. This $90 million is part of billions and billions of dollars that the United States government will give Musk and his private company. But Musk misappropriating government funds, allegedly, is only a short-term solution. By 2016, SolarCity is insolvent. It is worth $0.00 and and it has at least $3 billion in debt. And so, Musk proposes that Tesla should buy the ailing company. He calls it a no-brainer investment. Tesla shareholders are not so sure. To a lot of them, this amounts to a bailout of not just SolarCity, but Musk's cousins as well. Tesla is having its own set of problems as it is. It too is burning through mountains and mountains of cash revenue. Uh, uh, okay guys, seriously, business plans are good and if you're trying to run or own a company, you should probably have one. And the Model 3, which is supposed to be the affordable electric vehicle that will push the company forward, is facing major production delays already. Undeterred, Musk pushes ahead. And then on October 31st, 2016, Musk announces his latest innovation, solar panel roof tiles. The announcement earns an expected, though disappointing, amount of fawning press coverage. And that seems to be just enough to win over some holdouts. On November 21st, 2016, Tesla and SolarCity officially merged. And Tesla would acquire all of SolarCity's debt. And SolarCity and its practice of leasing solar panels would just slowly disappear from Tesla's portfolio. Tesla began closing its retail operations, many of which had been selling SolarCity panels and Tesla Powerwalls. 
Tesla would lay off 9% of its workforce, many of those being Solar City employees. And then Walmart sues Tesla after fires at seven of its stores were found to be caused by the faulty and poorly installed panels from Solar City. Amazon would later join in after they have a fire at one of their warehouses. And Musk's own shareholders would file a $13 billion lawsuit alleging that Musk had intentionally misled them in order to purchase the struggling company. On Wednesday, April 22nd, 2022, a judge ruled in favor of Elon Musk in the case. Just a few days earlier, Musk had formally placed a bid to buy Twitter. Oh, by the way, those solar panel roof tiles that Musk swore were functional, they were little more than non-functioning props. Musk had once again duped investors on selling them a Hollywood version of a product that didn't exist. Never attribute to malice that which can be adequately explained by stupidity. Henlin's Razor I think we all kind of want to think that supervillains exist. I don't blame anyone for feeling that way. It's an easier prism through which to look at the world. A world where men in dark suits laugh maniacally at how to best destroy the world is far easier to comprehend than a bunch of well-meaning but ultimately unscrupulous dipshits doing what the rest of us do best, figuring shit out as we go along. As I researched this episode, I tried to formulate one big evil reason why Elon wanted to buy Twitter. Some have said that his plan from the start was to stifle free speech, silence the left, and boost the many dumb views that he holds. Others blame his egomania. Some say that his estranged relationship with his daughter is why he hates trans people, or his divorce from Grimes for his red pilling. Hell, even I thought that. The truth is probably nothing so obliquely hateful and probably something far more petty. For most Twitter users, it's a place to post pictures of your cat, hate the latest movie everyone loves, and scroll through something while taking a poop. It's a place to organize social movements like Black Lives Matter and Me Too, to disseminate news and information quickly, to bond and share our common humanity, and once again, this can't be underestimated, to scroll through something while taking a poop. For people like Elon, however, Twitter became an addiction. An addiction not dedicated to making himself feel good, but instead to making other people feel bad. For those who want to feel powerful, making others feel bad is a pretty solid tool. For Elon Musk, he knows that reposting memes and not attributing credit annoys people. That's why he does it. He tweets incendiary, hurtful things, some of which he may not even believe because his sycophants will cheer him, but more importantly, his haters will be thinking about him constantly. Making others feel bad and seeing the engagement on his tweets 
is a powerful antidote to the crushing loneliness of being a billionaire. I mean, besides his mom, there's probably not really a soul Elon can trust. He has surrounded himself with people who agree with everything he says, which sucks when you consider yourself an intellectual. These people are also all paid to be around him. He can fly anywhere in the world on a moment's notice, but he can't just walk down a street. The money becomes an anvil, isolating you even further from the real world. Twitter might be the last space that Elon feels alive. Uh, not that you should feel bad for him. Empathy is important when trying to understand why billionaires behave the way they do, but sympathy is a step too far. Elon's ill-conceived purchase of Twitter is just the latest blunder for a man who thinks he can walk into any industry and find a way to enrich himself, and maybe his family if he's feeling generous. Elon didn't offer to purchase Twitter because he's evil, he did it because he likes Twitter, is addicted to Twitter, and fundamentally cannot grasp that other people don't use Twitter in the same manner that he does. He played himself. What happened with Twitter was something Elon had done before. The only difference was that the people he attempted to grift this time were ready for his games. To understand how the Twitter purchase got out of hand, we first have to understand the nature of how Elon Musk quote-unquote founds companies. By now, most people know that Elon Musk didn't really found Tesla Motors. The company was actually founded by Martin Eberhard and Mark Tarpening. There's paperwork to show it and everything. It was Eberhard who tried to purchase the AC Propulsion T0 from AC Propulsion. It was Everhard who invested in AC Propulsion to save it from bankruptcy, and it was Everhard who tried to convince AC Propulsion to create a production model of the T0. It was Everhard who went to Tarpenning in 2003 to found Tesla Motors with the goal of making a production scale electric sports car powered by lithium ion batteries. Both Everhard and Tarpenning had a history with lithium-ion batteries, seeing as though they had worked together to create one of the world's internet-connected e-book tablets. Eberhard and Tarpening hired Ian Wright as VP of Vehicle Development. They purchased the T-Zero platform from AC Propulsion, but when Eberhard and Tarpening realized that they wouldn't be able to turn the T-Zero into a production-ready sports car, they flew to London personally and developed a working relationship with the automotive company Lotus to use their vehicles as a base to create the first Tesla Roadster. Elon Musk didn't come aboard the company until 2004 when he purchased a $6.5 million stake in the company and was named chairman. Common sense skeptic series of YouTube videos debunking the myth of Elon Musk are well worth a watch if you want a more in-depth look at the history of Tesla's founding. The short version is that over time, Musk slowly forced the original founders of Tesla out of the company. 
Roadster was delayed by years, and many of the delays can be attributed to Musk asking for unnecessary changes, like having the ability to shift gears on an electric car in which gears are wholly unnecessary, or demanding that crucial pieces of the vehicle be made of carbon fiber, presumably because Musk had heard of carbon fiber being on cars once. Musk had no electrical engineering experience, no experience designing cars, and his goals were fixated not on not on building a boutique electric sports car company, instead a company that could compete with the legacy automakers. Unable to deal with Musk, Tarpenning and Wright left the company. Eberhardt remained as CEO for as long as he could, but alas, he could not deal with Elon either. Eberhardt left Tesla with a decent severance and a contract that stated in no uncertain terms that Eberhardt was guaranteed the first Tesla Roadster that came off the production line. Musk, being a king of pettiness, took the first Roadster for himself, and before Eberhardt could go, uh, hey, I have a contract that says that one's supposed to be mine, Elon Musk literally launched the first Roadster, Eberhardt's Roadster, into orbit. Not content with screwing Eberhardt out of his car, Musk also quickly moved to erase Tarpenning and Eberhardt from Tesla's history. At a 2016 TED Talk, Musk would claim that when he purchased his stake in Tesla Motors, that it was essentially a shell company with, quote, no intellectual property. Musk would begin to call himself a founder of the company, which he really wasn't, and began to scrub Eberhardt and Tarpenning from Tesla's history. Eberhardt would sue Musk over this, but in a non-shocker given how lawsuits against massive corporations work in this world, Musk would kinda sorta win the right to call himself the one true founder of Tesla. This would essentially become Musk MO when it came to how he controlled his companies. Musk was one of eight founders of Neuralink, the quote-unquote brain chip company, and he was its bigger shareholder. Of course, most of the other founders had extensive engineering, medical, and neuroscience backgrounds, but Musk had watched The Matrix, so he knows lots about what brain chips can do. Since its founding, all but two of the original founders have been forced out of the company. Musk pulled this with SolarCity as well, letting his cousins be the founders by being the one in the company who had the largest share. There's no evidence that says that Musk himself didn't found SpaceX or the Boring Company, but once again, he is the largest shareholder. This aggressive tactic of owning huge parts of companies and forcing out those who disagree with him was only one part of what would become his grift. Part two of the grift? Make big, sweeping promises without knowing if you can ever meet them. All of Musk's companies are based on one big game-changing feature that will revolutionize everything. At Tesla, it was full self-driving or autopilot, completely autonomous driving with no input needed from drivers. Musk has been promising that full self-driving will be a reality every year for the last eight years. Uh, I'm not exaggerating, just listen to this. It goes on a bit, but you'll get what I mean. For eight years, Elon Musk has been saying he would deliver a self-driving car in a year or so. 
he still isn't close. The Tesla car next year will probably be 90% capable of autopilot. Like, so 90% of your miles could be on auto. We're probably only a month away from having uh, autonomous driving, at least for highways and for relatively simple roads. The Model S and Model X at this point uh, can drive autonomously with greater safety than a person right now. We're still on track for being able to go um, cross-country from LA to New York by the end of the year, fully autonomous. But next year, for sure, we will have over a million robo-taxis on the road. I'm extremely confident uh, of achieving full autonomy uh, and, and releasing it to the Tesla customer base uh, next year. When do you think Tesla will solve level four FSD? I mean, it's looking quite likely that it will be next year. How can anyone trust what Elon Musk says about self-driving cars? The reality is that level four autonomous driving is still decades away, according to even the most ambitious engineers in the field who, you know, actually know what they're talking about. In the meanwhile, the so-called beta version of full self-driving is hopelessly bad on anything but the straightest of highways. In July of 2022, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration found that Tesla vehicles had accounted for 70% of crashes related to driver's assistance programs. This was happening at the same time that Tesla began to remove radar from the vehicles in a cost-cutting measure, relying purely on camera information and further endangering their customers. At SpaceX, it's Starship, Elon's plan to colonize Mars. At Neuralink, it's a rechargeable brain ship that allows you to do anything from using telepathy to communicate to playing video games inside your head. At The Boring Company, it's a Hyperloop that's capable of traveling across the country in a matter of minutes. Far smarter people than me can tell you all the reasons why what Musk is promising is next to impossible. But for venture capitalists desperate to make billions on the next big thing instead of creating a product that people actually want to use, those lofty promises like giant Scrooge McDuck vaults full of gold. And part three of the Elon gift? Tons and tons of government subsidies. A Los Angeles Times investigation in 2015 found that by then, Musk and his various companies had already received $4.9 billion in government cash, and it's only been growing more than that since. All of Elon's companies burned through massive amounts of VC cash. Musk is fond of talking about how close his companies have come to bankruptcy. And while he often decries government subsidies, the facts are that his many companies would almost certainly die without them. Solar City received $497.5 million in government subsidies in 2015. Tesla sold $517 million in clean energy credits to auto companies, and the energy department itself loaned them $465 million in 2010. SpaceX landed a $2.89 billion contract with NASA in 2021, 
and that was after receiving $653 million from the US Air Force in 2020. The Boring Company seemingly exists only to make grand promises about drilling tunnels to create public transportation to state and local governments and then ghost them. But they didn't do that without landing a $48.7 million contract from Las Vegas to build the world's most ambitious Tesla-based dark ride. I mean, the Vegas loop is inherently ridiculous and dumb. It is literally just Teslas that are driven by human beings through a tunnel that's not even a mile long. And to do this, well, Las Vegas reappropriated funds from the monorail that they had designed that ferried customers from the airport to Las Vegas. All they have to show for that is a barely functional loop that doesn't even do the thing that Elon Musk said it would do. So to recap, step one is to aggressively assume control of a business that is already established but just needs a cash cow. Step two is to make grand promises about the future of the business to spur funding from venture capitalists. And step three is to shovel piles of those VC dollars into a furnace to make the lofty goals a reality while letting the company stay afloat on the taxpayer's dime. With that preamble out of the way, here's how the $44 billion fuck up happens. In January of 2022, Musk begins to invest in Twitter by buying shares of its stock. By March 14th, Musk owns 9.2% of the company, making him the company's largest shareholder. By April 4th, Musk's stake in Twitter is finally publicly disclosed in a securities filing. On April 5th, Twitter offers to make Musk the chairman of the board. Step one of the plan seems to be going off without a hitch. But then a snag. Musk meets with Twitter CEO Parag Arwal and the board of directors. Musk presents the board with his ideas for Twitter and the C-suite execs are hesitant. Musk wants the company to take a far less stringent approach to its content moderation policies an idea spurred in no small part by the fact that Musk has seen his public persona shattered after he spreads COVID misinformation and sees several prominent red-pilled influencers banned from the platform. Also, Musk has been dealing with a lot of negative press. Everyone knows about now, everyone is beginning to learn about the lawsuits from SolarCity, and all the lawsuits from workers, and basically, the media is starting to catch on to the fact that Musk is not what he says he is. Twitter, though, isn't willing to budge, and they're not willing to let banned users back onto the platform. Twitter is already under a huge amount of scrutiny, and has been internally struggling with the best way to handle it. 
loosening their content moderation policies under public pressure from users and governments and private pressure from corporations who don't want their ads served alongside misinformation is arguably the worst move they can make. By April 11th, Twitter announces that Musk will no longer be joining the board of directors after all. Parag Arwal sends an internal sends an internal memo to Twitter's employees that he thinks the company is better off without Musk joining the board, and in a public statement says, quote, There will be distractions ahead, but our goals and priorities remain unchanged. The decisions we make and how we make them remain in our hands and no one else's. But Tricky Dicky Elon still wants Twitter. And he's not exactly thrilled that the company spurned his ideas so thoroughly or so quickly, even though his ideas are incredibly stupid, allegedly. On April 14th, Elon moves to phase two of step one and arguably makes his biggest fuck up, a hostile takeover. He offers to buy Twitter outright for $54.20 a share at an estimated cost of $44 billion. Also, $54.20, $4.20, because Musk is both deeply unfunny and totally immature. Nevertheless, Musk is essentially offering to purchase Twitter for a 38% markup on Twitter's actual stock price. In a letter sent from Musk to Twitter, he threatens that the company needs to either take him up on his offer or he will pull out from the company entirely. Quote, Since making my investment, I now realize the company will neither thrive nor serve its societal imperative in its current form. Twitter needs to be transformed as a private company. If the deal doesn't work, given that I don't have confidence in management, nor do I believe I can drive the necessary change in the public market, I would need to reconsider my position as a shareholder. The following day, Twitter shareholders adopt a strategy known as a poison pill. It allows shareholders to buy back stock at a discounted price, which dilutes the shares that Musk already owns and makes it more expensive for him to buy the company outright through the stock market. If Musk tries to buy more than 15% of the company, the poison pill will trigger. By April 25th, however, Twitter realizes that they have this guy on the hook for far more money than the company is actually worth, and they accept Elon's bid for the company. And now, Elon has a huge fucking problem. In spite of the fact that he says in a securities filing that he has already secured $46 billion to finance the purchase of Twitter, it seems like he doesn't actually have all the money yet. For one, even though Musk has a net worth of $216 billion in 2023, he doesn't actually have that kind of cash on hand. Almost all of Elon's actual wealth is tied up in his stock, particularly Tesla stock, which is worth about $84 billion. Musk has little of his massive wealth liquid or easily attainable to finance a bid for Twitter. And so he begins to sell Tesla stock, which makes Tesla's shareholders 
who are already kind of annoyed at Musk's Twitter antics and by his bid to become the CEO of yet another company, while their company is in the midst of trying to bring the Cybertruck to market and swimming in lawsuits and federal investigations, which in turn makes the stock worth less. He goes to venture capitalists and, according to the New York Times, says he can promise and according to the New York Times, he promises them he can quintuple Twitter's revenue by 2028. That gets him at least $7 billion from venture capitalists, but it is still far less than he needs. Musk is in hot water, and he's tweeting a lot about how much Twitter, the company he's buying, actually sucks. These comments and the pending acquisition caused Twitter stock to drop by 12%, which could maybe potentially help Musk take over Twitter the old-fashioned way. If Twitter's shareholders didn't file a class action lawsuit accusing him of manipulating the stock price. Musk is short a lot of money and he's stalling. The only way to finance this deal is by taking out huge bank loans. Stage one of his plan has fallen apart. And so, he comes up with a completely bullshit reason to try and terminate the deal. But, according to Elon, Twitter has promised him that less than 5% of Twitter accounts are actually bots. And Elon hates bots, both because he is literally petrified of AI and because people have accused him for years of having inflated his Twitter follower account by purchasing you know, bots. Musk says that he estimates the bot count is at 20%, but Twitter counters by saying that Elon is using freely available tools on the internet that count bots that have, that have either been deleted and or are dormant, and that they have provided Musk with pages and pages and pages of information on bots using their internal tools. Musk won't budge, and on July 8th, Musk moves to terminate the deal. On July 12th, Twitter sues Musk in Delaware Chancery Court to force him to buy the company. And now, Elon is double fucked. Musk, or at least his lawyers, know that he is on shaky-ass legal ground. The Chancery Court is extremely friendly to corporations. That's why so many of them incorporate there. And Musk claims that Twitter is not providing him with the information he wants coupled with being sued for stock price manipulation and his need to tweet every accursed thought he has about the deal make it all the more likely that he will be forced to take this deal no matter what. And then there's the triple fuck. If Elon really wants to terminate the deal, he'll be forced to pay a $1 billion cancellation fee. And even the richest man in the world doesn't want to part with a billion dollars. And here comes the quadruple fuck. The court ignores Musk's move to dismiss the case and agrees to an expedited trial. Elon really has no choice at this point. So on October 4th, 2022, just days before the case moves to trial, Musk finally caves and formally announces that he will purchase Twitter. Musk has to secure a $13 billion bank loan from Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, and Barclays, among others, to make up for the shortfall. He is also now in debt to Saudi Arabia. 
as the Qatar Investment Authority has invested, and Prince Awalid bin Talal has personally invested in Twitter. And in order to keep up with its debts, Twitter will have to pay nearly a billion dollars a year in interest-only payments. It barely matters when Musk, who once again is deeply unfunny, walks into Twitter holding a sink. And it's like, dude, someone had to go to like fucking Home Depot or Lowe's, find a seek, make sure that it wasn't too heavy so Elon could carry it, purchase it, drive it to a car and bring it to Elon just so he could make this dumb meme, just so he could make this dumb meme joke that like four people got at the time. But Musk is actually in a world of trouble. He has used just over a quarter of his wealth to purchase something he does not understand, a thing that has never reliably made anything close to the kind of money it will need to pay back just in interest on the loan. He's in billions of dollars of debt, and after he fires all the C-suite execs and begins laying off thousands of employees and getting even more lawsuits filed against him, it is clear that he is nowhere near to getting this company back in the red. And wouldn't you know it, inviting Nazis and conspiracy theory lunatics back to the platform causes mega corporations to stop advertising on Twitter. Whether he wants it or not, Musk's entire legacy will now depend on whether or not he can make Twitter work. Let that sink in. So, step two in the drift is the big idea. The one that will get the people going. The one that will be unveiled and people will be hyped for. Elon surely has an idea, right? Right? Well, one big idea he has is to bring back X.com, his dead internet bank. He wants to bring it back in the form of what he calls X, the everything app. This quote-unquote everything app would be a sort of Swiss army app in the vein of China's WeChat, a place where people could post text and post videos and make money and be like PayPal. I'll leave it to the humble dungeon master Brandon Lee Mulligan to explain Swiss army knives. There's a reason Swiss army knives are sold in gift shops. They are trash. <laughs> When you are buying a tool, you don't want the thing that kind of does it all. Yeah, talk of the everything app has kind of fallen to the wayside, though it hasn't stopped Elon Musk from renaming the company from Twitter Inc. to X. Because X is a cool letter, I guess. Musk tells investors in 2022 that a payment business would generate $15 million in revenue in 2023, and that number would grow to $1.3 billion by 2028. As of the date of this recording, Twitter barely has a functioning payment system, if they have one at all. Musk also sees Twitter Blue, Twitter subscription service that offers a few perks as an opportunity where he can grow the company. His sycophants have been griping for years that Twitter's verification system is inherently discriminatory because they don't have blue checks for themselves. 
Elon mistakes this minority grumble for a business opportunity. He first announces that Twitter Blue will cost $20 and will come with a shiny blue check mark. When people point out that the point of verification is not a status symbol, but simply a way for notable journalists, celebrities, just plain old public figures and governments to verify their accounts are real and that they are not willing to pay $20, Musk promises to charge $8 instead, and maybe you'll see less ads and be pushed to the top of people's feeds. Musk briefly threatens to start yet another company when he doesn't want to pay Apple's licensing fee for payments on the App Store, but one quick tour around the Apple facility by Tim Apple and the Tesla phone completely dies and Musk passes on the fee to Apple users and charges them $11 instead of $8. The problem Musk immediately runs into here He's trying to come up with a way to monetize a service that people access for free. And he's trying to do it while not relying on support from advertisers. And he's trying to do it while chasing away his most loyal users in exchange for the most toxic ones who, again, are minority of Twitter's actual user base. Elon Musk has no big ideas that can generate revenue and hype. And in spite of the fact that he has floated the idea of sharing some of his share of selling some of his shares in Twitter, it doesn't seem like any venture capitalists are willing to give Musk any more money for this thing of his. And stage three? Stage three is a functional impossibility. The conspiratorial side of me thinks that Musk's constant selling of Twitter as a digital town square and his cries that its right to free speech must be protected are a way of Musk trying to angle his way to getting some sort of government subsidy that simply does not exist for social media companies. As it stands, politicians on the right and the left are both mistrusting of social media for different reasons and are not exactly ready to give a government handout. Furthermore, Twitter's plans to charge government and other public-facing organizations up to $1,000 a month for the privilege of having a check is basically a non-starter. Many news organizations and companies straight up refuse to pay $12,000 a year plus $50 a month for every sub-account. And in order to even crack a million dollars in revenue, 83.3 thousand branded accounts would have to sign up for the service. The grift has broken. Musk has played himself. Twitter is dying or maybe it's dead and large corporations are sitting around waiting for its corpse to get ripe enough in the hot sun to start to feed on its meat. So what can we learn from Elon Musk, a man who has consistently failed into becoming the richest man in the world? I think a prime example is that in spite of his constant failure, Musk has always had a government safety net to rely on. When Musk was shoved out of Confinity while still holding on to valuable shares, 
he was still an absurdly wealthy man. And when Confinity became PayPal in his absence, and then PayPal went IPO and sold to eBay for $1.5 billion, Musk made out like a bandit despite doing little to no work. When SpaceX blew up three rockets, NASA patiently waited for him to launch a fourth before awarding the private company with billions of dollars in taxpayer money. Since NASA itself can no longer use that taxpayer money to fund its own research and development. Tesla is, by all accounts, a miserable place to work. It is dogged by employment lawsuits, but has been handed lucrative loans and tax credits which they then sold to auto manufacturers that still wanted to pollute, and they padded their own wallets. State and local governments that are strapped for cash are still just waiting around to hand checks to the boring company to build tunnels to absolutely nowhere. Neuralink has won approval from the FDA to begin studying how their chips will impact humans, in spite of the fact that the company that Neuralink has allegedly killed 1,500 animals in its drive to get their chips to market and pay back its investors. Our system has enabled Musk at every step, and until he bought Twitter, he had seen very little in the way of consequences. Musk, who rails against taxes on the wealthy, who underpays his employees and makes them work in unsafe conditions for insane hours, who spread COVID denialism, who has been accused of abuse by his ex-wife, who mocks actual heroes as pedophiles and attacks actual scientists, causing his mob sycophants to dox and harass people who are just trying to do their jobs, is still stupidly rich, and nothing about our system is set up to stop him from being rich. All of Musk's companies could fail tomorrow, and he would still likely have more money than just about anyone else on Earth. This is in spite of the fact that Musk contributes very little to society itself. People say you have to give Musk credit for accelerating the adoption of electric vehicles, but that ignores the many engineers and the designers and line workers who make the cars a reality. And also ignores that Musk and the board at Tesla have cut costs on materials and on safety standards, both in their cars and at their gigafactories, in order to extract maximum profit from every vehicle sold. His lofty ambitions to go to Mars seem like little more than science fiction navel-gazing, as if he feels that Earth is doomed and that it would just be better to start a new Earth with space hookers and space blood. Musk contributes nothing of value to the conversation, and in fact, actively subtracts from it with bad, plagiarized memes, unfounded fears of domination by artificial intelligence, by the way, Musk wants to start his own AI company that will do things quote-unquote the right way, anti-science rhetoric, and just plain old knuckleheaded stupidity. I, your humble Griffin Master, don't know what we can really do to prevent more Elon Musk from existing. Perhaps the only thing we can really do is just not have any billionaires at all. So, yeah, that's our first episode. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, we use a lot of sources in this podcast thing that I'm attempting to do. Uh, a particular help to me was the Elon Musk biography by Ashley Vance. 
the timeline of Twitter's acquisition that was on IGN.com and Common Sense Skeptics YouTube channel, which really is a huge source of information for all of Elon Musk's dealings, especially if you want to deep dive into the rabbit hole as I do. Uh, if you have any questions, if you have anyone that you would like to be covered on this podcast, uh, to, uh, shoot me an email at uh, whosgrift at proton.me or you can uh, find me over at whosgrift at mastodon.social. Uh, until next time, I am your humble grift master. And uh, thanks so much for joining me. And uh, we'll see you for uh, the next episode sometime soon. Bye.